Amen. How many of you made it out to Sunday school? And good. Amen. I'm glad that you did and hope that you will uh, try to make it out in these coming weeks. But uh, make, sit, try to come out tonight if you can. Uh, we, I know you'll be encouraged and you don't have to hear me anyway. So that's, that's, that's always a good thing, right? But I'm joking with you here, okay? Make sure I got this mic here on and we're all set and ready to go. We're trying to work on our, our sound here a little bit. So forgive us if it goes a little up and down. But uh, um, sometimes things get adjusted. You get too many people in the back room and uh, all the different knobs get moved. And so, um, uh, you know, it's it's always it's easy to say I didn't do it, right? Uh, you don't ever know in a church, right? Uh, something disappears in the refrigerator, something moves in the sound room. It's it's the same thing, right? It's it, when the church is uh, is open, uh, you never know what's going to get moved around. But um, you know, uh, we're thank we are thankful to have the Suttons here, though. Thank you, brother. And, um, uh, uh, that's that's encouraging. Ninety-seven percent support. So that means you don't need any support at all from us, right? I'm just, <laughs> just kidding. So yeah, we just pray, right? And uh, we are we are thankful to have them here. Well, let's take our Bibles together, and we'll turn to the Book of Matthew with one another. Been thinking uh, over the weekend about um, uh, this this passage of Scripture, and um, you know, have you you ever stopped to think about uh, in one week's period of time? Um, exactly how would you rate yourself on how happy of a person you are? I mean, how, how light-hearted are you? How much are you actually smiling? How many joyful things are you actually exerting and uh, sharing with others and uh, uh, being, being a happy individual? Um, I just, just for sake of interest, I looked up uh, happiest people in the world. And I, I don't know if you've ever Googled that, but there's only one name that really actually comes up. And uh, uh, the, guy is, the guy is actually a, a monk, and he's considered to be the world's happiest man. Uh, just reading to you from an article here. Uh, his, name is, his last name is Ricard. I believe it's Matthew is his first name. And, uh, but he's a Buddhist monk. And uh, he said this. Of course, he's written some books and things. He's supposed to contain much wisdom because he's such a happy man. Uh, but he said, meditating is like lifting weights or exercising of the mind. And he said, anyone can be happy by simply training their brain. And uh, he said, uh, uh, the, the article said this, to quantify just how happy uh, Ricard is, neuroscientists at the University of Wisconsin attached 256 sensors to the monk's skull. Uh, when he meditated on compassion, the researchers were shocked to see that Ricard's brain produced, produced a level of gamma waves uh, off the charts. He also demonstrated excessive activity in his brain, left uh, prefrontal cortex compared to its right counterpart, whatever that means, meaning he has an abnormal large capacity for happiness and a reduced propensity towards negativity. And that's what researchers say. So, you know, how many people actually hook themselves up to a machine, 256 sensors, right? And let's see how happy I actually am. Boy, we might be discouraged if we actually did that to ourselves. We might just be discouraged with the response that we'd actually get. But uh, our, our spouses might be intrigued, I guess, at each other to see, you know, how happy is my spouse actually, you know? And, and uh, but you ever meet somebody and you say they're just always a happy person? Like they, I mean, you're around them and they always bring a smile to your face. They always just have a, a lightheartedness about them. I can remember people in college that were that way. And it just seemed like every time you were around them, they always were smiling. They didn't, it wasn't anything that was artificial. It just, they were just a genuinely happy, uh, good, fun to be around person. You know people like that? Maybe, maybe you're someone like that yourself. And, and uh, I enjoy being around those types of people. Maybe they drive you nuts. I don't know. Uh, but I do enjoy somebody who can just let their hair down and have a good time. And uh, it's, it is possible to laugh and, and enjoy life uh, as a Christian and not have to be do, rude and, and uh, crude and all these things. Amen? 
and uh, happiness in life. We think about happiness and uh, where happiness actually comes from, and what is uh, what where you know uh, ultimately is it you know our our meditation upon something? Uh, what leads us to that point of happiness? What does the Word of God say? concerning happiness. And so I want to bring us through a study together. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and this will be the first of our uh, studies with one another. I want to talk to you about becoming the happiest person on earth. Becoming the happiest person on earth. I'm not saying today that uh, you're going to look like somebody who's had plastic surgery on your face and you're like you're smiling 24-7, okay? That's not what we're talking about today, uh, but we are talking about what the Word of God says about an individual who uh, is living uh, the happiest life which they possibly can live. And it's in uh, Matthew chapter 5 that we find what has been called the Beatitudes, or the Blesseds, as they are also called. Uh, from verse 3 down through verse 11, we find that word blessed being used at the very beginning of each verse. And for these weeks ahead, I want us to look at these, um, these verses in uh, a closer detail, exactly what the Word of God says uh, concerning um, the, this matter of the blessed life. Or should we say that happy life, that blessing of life? It really is hardly proper to simply just say it's a happy life uh, because the true happiness which we're talking about is a blessing or a gift which comes from God. Amen? Aren't you thankful for God's gifts? Amen? The Bible tells us and gives us here not just principles but yet also promises. Promises of blessings if these things, if these principles are done within our life. Uh, some of the most miserable people in the world are people who simply just aren't living uh, in obedience to the Word of God and living by the Word of God. And you want to live a happy life, obey God's Word. Amen? Live by God's Word. Let it become a regular part of your life. And so as we look together in Matthew 5, this would also be what uh, is uh, the beginning of that Sermon on the Mount, uh, considered the, the, the most profound and the most uh, significant of sermons ever preached is that Sermon on the Mount. And we're not, uh, at this point anyway, looking through the entire sermon, but we're looking at these Blessed. And so we're going to look together in verse number three. And though it's a small verse and it's just one verse, I'm going to read it once and then we'll read it together. And then uh, um, we'll look at the details here together. So as I begin, you follow and then we'll read together the second time. Verse number three, chapter five. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ready? Everyone together. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You think about the, the words which are used there. Uh, you know, I thought it interesting in my study uh, to find that, um, and, and, you know, for, for I'm, I'm, I'm admitting this, I really did not remember this. If, I'm sure it was probably told to me in college, but I did not realize the, the reason for the italicized words in the King James Bible, at least. Does anyone actually know that, the king, reason for? And uh, much of that reason is, is that the original text, there was, there was and is not another word which could be used for it. So it's actually, those italicized words are added words to complete the, the properness of that sentence. And so uh, the, if you were to read it in the original language, you really could remove that R and go right into that very matter of blessed. Blessed are the uh, blessed the poor in spirit blessed is that individual we use that word happy as that promised blessing of god okay there is no happier life that can be lived than blessings which come from god amen uh, aren't you thankful for the for the thankful for the blessing of salvation amen 
thankful for the blessing uh, and the blessed promise that, that Christ is not going to leave us upon this earth for all eternity. Amen? We have a promised hope of knowing that we will be together with Christ in heaven. But as we read, the Bible says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. There are two different ways in which uh, that word poor is used in Scripture. Um, and the way in which Jesus is using this word is not as in the Greek, although that would have been how it was written. He's speaking that Hebrew Aramaic language. And so as we find that word poor being used, there are many parallels also used in the Old Testament. And all that being said, I'm trying not to get too deep on these words here together with you today. Uh, but all that being said, the words which Jesus is using is not speaking of, uh, of poverty uh, in physically upon this earth. God is not saying that you are going to live a blessed life if you have absolutely nothing at all. I'm thankful for that. Amen? <laughs> uh, that I can drive a car and it can be a nice car if, if, if God would give me that blessing. That I can have a house and, and it can be a nice house if God would give me that blessing. Uh, that I can have clothes on my back and shoes on my feet and, and a bed to sleep in and, and food on my table. All these things uh, are blessings which are given from God. But God is not saying that it's uh, a blessed life for the individual who has absolutely nothing. But rather in much of the sense he's speaking of a spiritual poverty. So what I want, to tell, want us to bring our attention to this morning is what defines the happiest person on earth? What defines them? Well, in verse 3, we find, first of all, it's the very matter of poverty. And should we say specifically, spiritual poverty. Spiritual poverty. What exactly does he mean by using this word uh, poor? Uh, those poor individuals, <laughs> and no, no pun intended, right? Those poor individuals which are being spoken of here in Scripture is speaking of the Christians. We as Christians, uh, that we would be in such a point in life of humility and a view of ourselves as nothing. In Luke chapter 6 and verse number 20 is a parallel passage of this where the Bible goes even straighter of Luke writing to say, Blessed be ye poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. The Bible says that a blessed life is an individual who is not poor physically, but is poor spiritually in the sense that they have a spirit as someone who is poor. I'll say that again. They have a spirit and an attitude and character as someone who is poor. You ever meet somebody who doesn't have much? Somebody who doesn't have much really doesn't care to have any more. They've, they've become satisfied with all that they have. In fact, they'll, they'll live on all that they have, and, and that's, they, they may desire to have more in some sense of the way, but ultimately, uh, there, there's a spirit that is being referred to here by Jesus that we are to have in the same. One that is not about us. <laughs> One that is not focused on anything more uh, than uh, honor to God and, and um, uh, obedience to God. I want, us to take us, I want to take us to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus gives a parable that really um, just helps to bring this verse out all that much more. This poverty we're talking about is speaking of humility. It's someone who humbles himself before God, seeing themselves as uh, helpless and therefore in need of God. If I, if I have uh, nothing else in life outside of God, then that's all that I need. And therefore, as a result of this state of, of helplessness, of humility, of I don't need anything else, all we can do and all we desire to do is place our complete dependence and trust upon God. In Luke chapter 18, in verse number 9, the Word of God says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves 
that they were righteous and despised others. Notice, two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week, I give tithes of all that I possess, and, and the publican standing afar off uh, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Notice what Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalted himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. You notice the, the number of times that the Pharisee uses the word I. He talks about himself. Uh, notice, the Bible says the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men and extortioners. He says, I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. You see, the individual who is not poor in spirit is as this Pharisee where everything that they could say about their life includes I. Look at what I am doing. God says, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who would so much uh, come before God in humility that they, realizing their unworthiness, could hardly even look up to God to smite their breast, to smite their chest, and to say, God, be merciful unto me. I don't deserve anything of you. Have mercy on me. It's like we talked about last week. It's only by the mercies of God that we are not consumed. Amen? Amen. To be thankful for the mercies of God. It's that state of humility. That state of humility. I, I, I realize that I am helpless and nothing without you, God. That if it wasn't for you, I would be nothing. That truthfully, uh, I, I am worthless in your eyes. It's only by your mercies. God, be merciful unto me. You realize that this, this attitude of being poor in spirit is one which we have to work at. It's not one that just comes naturally. I say to you this morning that as a Christian, and, and uh, though I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but as a Christian you cannot possibly come to the point of realizing your need for God and becoming a Christian without first drawing yourself to that point of humility and becoming poor in spirit, but remaining with that attitude is what we're talking about. Remaining with an attitude of humility and helplessness before God. We're not talking about such... Uh, helplessness to the point like I'm not going to do anything I'm just you know uh, God's just going to have to tell me what he wants me to do we're, we're, we're not speaking of no action at all we're talking about in our spirit in our spirit humility of spirit the Bible tells us that that which defines the happiest person on earth is one who is living a life of spiritual poverty turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5 we find Isaiah also speaking in much of the very same spirit that is being spoken of here in Matthew 5. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse number 5. Now Isaiah is writing concerning the judgment of God upon Israel. But he, he speaks concerning himself. And notice what he says as he speaks to the Lord. Verse 5, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. 
and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This is a view of God that brought Isaiah to a realization of himself as nothing more than a sinner in the eyes of God. He says, I'm nothing. Woe is me. Look at verse number 6. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. What verse, better verse could come to mind than Romans chapter 3, verse 23, that all of us come short of the glory of God. The principle this morning as we consider the poor in spirit is that we would not allow ourselves to be focused upon what we desire on this earth for our lives before that attitude of humility which we should have before God and as a result, obedience to Him. You see, the connection to this is found in the remainder of verse number 3 where you find that that which defines the happiest person on earth is not just uh, a spiritual poverty, but yet also an inheritance. In Matthew 5 and verse 3, the Word of God says, For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, that which produces that attitude even more is that knowing that promised home in all eternity, that citizenship which we have together with Christ. Could I say it's unfortunate that too many times that we as Christians, we are, we are living what we believe to be a miserable day because all the while we have not placed ourselves in a state of humility before God and with in view that inheritance, that promised inheritance, that home together with Christ, that citizenship which has been given to us as God's people. Oh, what a different spirit that we would have if we dwell upon those things. Amen? Blessed are the poor in spirit. The Bible tells us this poverty of, of spirit, this, state, this character of humility, of helplessness, of nothingness, is with the inheritance of the kingdom of God in view. Turn with me to James chapter 2, if you would. James chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse number 1. As I was reading through James chapter 2, uh, you really could, could take that which is written here in James and put it right beside Matthew chapter 5 because so much is what, of what is being referred to in attitude and character in James chapter 2 is exactly what is being spoken of in James 5 and verse 3. But it will begin in verse number 1, James 2 verse 1. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Okay, they're treating others differently. Word of God says, For if there come unto you an assembly, a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man, in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil thoughts? Hey, before we go further, let's understand this principle that James is referring to here. It is possible that we, even as God's people, can, have, can be a respecter of persons. We can treat others differently because we know what kind of background that they are. Well, so-and-so, uh, they, they've got this baggage in their life. This marriage, this lifestyle, they, they're a smoker, they're, they're a drinker. Well, this person, they're very well off for themselves. I feel more comfortable around them. I'm, I'm going I'm, I'm to invite them over to my house because I feel more comfortable. It, it should not be, James says. It should not be in the church. There should not be a treatment of others that is different, no matter whether it be age or, or, or lifestyle, whatever it may be. 
The Christian attitude, the godly, Christ-like attitude, is, is one that uh, is, is without uh, any differences, which we're viewing of one another. At the end of the day, if we're all children of God, if we know that we're fellow believers, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's how we're treating one another. Amen? Amen. And for those that are not believers in Christ, that it would be our intent and desire that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ through our testimony. Amen? The Bible continues. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen, notice, the poor of this world, rich in faith, and, here it is, heirs of the kingdom, which he hath promised to them that love him. But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats. The Bible says, Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom? That's what I want to bring your attention to. We are heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised. But notice the Bible says, which he hath promised to them that love him. We're not saying today that you can lose your salvation or that citizenship which you have with Christ the moment that you become a Christian. But what we do understand is that there should be a love relationship that's continuing with God. Amen? A state of humility. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your mercy. In fact, Lord, I need your mercy to continue on, to continue forward, to live the life which I'm living. You, you know, part of praying the promises of God is taking something like Matthew 5 and verse 3. God, you promised, blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm, I come before you today nothing of me. I realize I am worthless. I'm not worthy. Help me to live for you in obedience to you today. And by the way, this is a daily thing. <laughs> Help me to live for you today that I would continue with the leading of your Holy Spirit in obedience to your word. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 11 and verse number 2, why don't you turn there with me. As we consider the happiest person on earth, it is one who's built his faith on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, right? This is that individual. It's that individual who's realized that there, there is nothing to build my life upon outside of Christ that is going to promise anything else happier. So we already looked together at the Pharisee. Here was a man who, who had all, he had the, the gold ring and the robe and everything that could be admired. Christian, you can have everything in this world. Everything that, that, that need, in fact, you can even be obeying God in action. But if your heart and your spirit are not right, there we've come off wrong. Notice Luke chapter 11, verse 2. Here we find uh, the, uh, the, the prayer and the pattern of prayer. But I want to bring your attention to a couple of phrases which are used. And I want you to notice what this, the, the prayer uh, of man uh, who, of a man who is poor in spirit looks like. The Bible says, and he said unto them, verse 2, When ye pray, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Notice, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. We're talking about two petitions which we are to bring to God. It's not that we are to pray this exact way, but we are to pray in accordance to this pattern. And how are we to pray? Well, if we take those two things and put them together, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. What does this mean? Those who inherit the kingdom of God desire God's will in earth as it also is in heaven. I'll say that again. Those 
who have inherited the kingdom of God, those who are believers in Christ. We know that we are citizens of heaven. We are desiring God's will, not just for what he has promised us in heaven, not just what we know that he expects of it, but we're desiring it on this earth. In other words, our prayers and the prayer of the poor in spirit so much should be to the point that I'm going to live my life on this earth as you have promised me that my home in heaven will be. I'm going to desire to live without sin. I'm going to live in obedience to your word. I'm going to live giving glory to your name and worship to you and all that you are. Thy will be done. I desire for your will to be done on this earth. And if that will concerns me in obedience to you in some way, if that will concerns my possessions in a refusal of giving attention to those things, then so be it. Because you've promised, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I come before you with nothing. It's not about me. It's not about what I have. In fact, nothing I have amounts to anything in accordance to your will. It's your will that the reason why you've left me upon this earth is to bring glory to you. That's the spirit we're talking about. Amen? That blessed are the poor in spirit. That we would so be able to come before God. Woe is me! God, have mercy upon me! I'm not worthy of all that you give him. This inheritance. Boy, when we, when we put the kingdom of God and the promised home and eternity in view, right next to the attitude that God, uh, that God tells us we are to have, that attitude of humility, what it should produce in return is obedience. And that's number three. The happy individual, the happiest uh, person on earth is one who has poverty and spirit spiritual poverty, they are, in view of that inheritance, they know that they have an inheritance. But number three, there is obedience of the heart. And I specify obedience of the heart. Because as I said a moment ago, it is possible to obey and not obey of the heart. I've not had uh, children that long in my life, but I know enough about children and have learned even more so enough about children uh, that uh, there is a difference between simply doing something and doing it with the right spirit, right? And we, we could tell our children all day, you know, it's not just about uh, the fact, yes, you did what I asked you to do, but you had a bad attitude the whole time, you know? Uh, that's like Caleb sometimes, and he's just enough to that point of understanding. He won't necessarily backtalk you, but he'll whine, you know? You walk in, in, inside the door and you'll say, all right, Caleb, sit down, take your shoes off. Ah, you know, you got to take your shoes, take your shoes off. Ah, you know, and, you know, two minutes later, he finally gets his shoes off. Ah, he's carrying his shoes over to where he's supposed to take them. And, and what is the problem? It's the spirit. It's the spirit in which it is being done. And, and by the way, could I, could I at least remind us this morning, and hopefully encourage us, that, that all of us, uh, if we followed by our own sinful nature, Truthfully, that's the type of spirit we have. Our sin nature doesn't desire to do the things of God. Because it's sin. <laughs> it, it, that is the corruption of sin. The perfection when God created mankind, sinlessness is no longer there. We, by our very nature, will give in to sin if we don't place ourselves in the proper spirit that God intends for us to be in. Obedience of the heart. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 2, the Word of God says, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Listen to this. For this is the love of God, 
that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not what? Grievous. I wonder, could we ask ourselves honestly before God this morning, are there some commands that God, we know that God has given to us that we just kind of cringe at? I don't want to do that. Uh, it's, just, it's just the pastor trying to ask me to do something. You know, if I'm not, if I'm not asking to do something as a and helping you to lead in your walk with God, and it's something else, that'd be, that'd be a different case. But God gives the pastor for that reason. Hey, God gives, uh, God gives um, spiritual... Um, uh, oh, I'm not thinking of the word. But God gives uh, spiritual friends and family to help us to point help to point us in the direction of obedience to God. God gives us parents for the very reason of, uh, of helping to point us in a, in, a, in a direction of obedience to Christ. What, what defines that obedience? Well, not all of us are, um, you know, uh, uh, obeying the same exact things as the other. Truth is, we, we walk, we're here today with the rule book, more or less, in our laps, of how we are to live our life, are we living in obedience to God of the heart? It's possible for me as your pastor to come and, and just go through the motions of preaching and it not be of obedience to God of my own heart, to God's calling on my life. It's possible to be a Sunday school teacher and it not be in obedience to God of our heart. It's possible for us to be a soul winner and tell others about Christ and not truly be obedience to God of the heart. And truthfully, I've known, uh, I've known preachers to lead others to Christ, them coming to a saving knowledge of Christ, and then to, to find later that they had never truly of their heart, that preacher, given their lives to God. The point is this, is that it's possible to go through the motions of obedience and not have the right heart of obedience. What is the condition of your heart, Christian? We understand that when we have that attitude of poor in spirit, and the inheritance in view, and we're living each day with those things in view, it now in return produces that desire to obey God. That desire to do what God has commanded and God has directed me to do. We looked at this passage of Scripture last week, but... I found myself again in it this week. James chapter 2. We were here just a moment ago, but James chapter 2, let's look there together. James chapter 2. What defines the happiest person on earth? It's one who's living with, in poverty. One who's living with the inheritance in view and one who's living in obedience of the heart. James chapter 2, look at verse number 10. This is what James is talking about. Not just a matter of obedience, but that a matter of obedience of the heart. Verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. For he, that, for he that said, Do not commit adultery, said also, Do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a, stranger, uh, a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged in the law of liberty. For he shall have judgment without mercy that hath showed no mercy, and mercy rejoiceth against judgment. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he have faith, and not works? Can faith save him? Verse 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, 
And one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee thy faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? We can define those works in different ways, but ultimately, what is it? It's obedience. And what James is referring to here is that that very matter of, of it's not just about the works which we do. It's not only about obedience. It's the obedience of the heart. Your, your obedience in remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, is it done with the right heart? Your obedience in, and, uh, in, in dressing the way that you do, is it done with the right heart? Your obedience in uh, choosing to, to stay pure before God and keeping yourself uh, from immoral sins, is it, is it obedience of the heart? When we go right on down through all the line, it's, it's not just simply of what you've not done or what you are doing. Are you doing it with the right spirit? Are you doing it with the right obedience of the heart? God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who would so come before God in their obedience, say, God, I'm not worthy. I need your mercy. It's not about me. I'm not living my life for anything else, no possessions upon this earth. It's nothing about me. Have mercy upon me. Woe is me, a sinner. In the eyes of God. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You're here this morning. And I want to pray for you today. Maybe if God's spoken to your heart, you say, Pastor Miller, you know, talk about that happy individual. You say, Pastor Miller, I, I desire to be that individual, but I realize uh, 